1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone who does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All right. Well, thank you, Rachel, for that. Um, well, as we continue our study in First Timothy, uh, you, some of you may have noticed that uh, it seems like we skipped ahead a little bit, right? Last week, we were talking about... Um, uh, first Timothy, the first part of chapter two, and now we're suddenly at the first part of chapter three. Well, if you remember way back when, when we started this whole study, uh, I s- said that we actually had covered parts of First Timothy before, but we had covered it last year. Um, Joel had, uh, he decided to split First Timothy up kind of into different chunks. So right now we're covering all the bits that we had missed. And there is a reason for that, there is some method behind the madness, and that is because of, really because of the section we're about to look at over the next several weeks. Because you see, 1 Timothy 3 is kind of the, the go-to passage whenever somebody is going to talk about church leadership. Um, and the reason why we wanted to start talking about church leadership is because, well, we're, we're hoping to raise up more leaders in Stone and Ainsford. Right now, um, some of you, most of you are probably aware of the fact that our church leadership team is made up of two wonderful people, Les and Barb, and it's so great that they serve faithfully, uh, overseeing now two churches, but it really is something that we want to see that leadership team grow. We want to see that be more than just two people. We want to see several people on that group, especially because there's now two churches that that group is overseeing. But that's not the only reason why we want to talk about church leadership, because honestly, one of the big goals of a church should be to raise up leaders. Like, if you think about what's the main overarching goal of the church, well, it's to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come and worship their creator. But in order to do that, we need to raise up people who can be used by God to lead people to their creator. And so those people that are being put into leadership, though, we're not, we shouldn't expect them to suddenly like, just be plucked up and put into leadership without any kind of support. Because remember, Matthew 28, it's the famous, the Great Commission passage. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Well, the idea of making a disciple means that the person you're discipling will eventually get to the point where they can go and make disciples themselves, Right? That's how a church should work. We should have people grow until they can then go and grow other people. Like the cycle we should be seeing is that someone comes to church 
and they learn about Jesus. They get saved. They start to grow in the relationship with their God. They get to know them, know God intimately. And eventually, they start getting opportunities to now practice the things that learn, to be able to put their faith into practice. And as a church does that, it should eventually reach this place where it now has people who have been raised up who are ready to not only be in church leadership there at the church, but maybe go out and plant other churches or maybe go help other churches that need that same thing. It needs people that can come and train leaders. I mean, if we want to see the church in the UK grow again, that's what we got to do. We got to start here by making this church be a place that we instill this ideal in anybody who comes in through that door. Because when you come to church, you are not just an attendee at a church. You are part of a movement led by Jesus himself. But that should uh, bring up the question, well, what does a Christian leader look like? You know, when a person comes to the church, if that's that cycle, the person coming to church, getting saved, growing in their faith, like when they get to that position where they're now in a place to lead, what are some of the qualities that hopefully the church has instilled in them so that we can say, yes, you are now prepared to take up a leadership role. Well, that leads us back to this section of First Timothy. Because, to be honest, there's not many places in the Bible where there's like just explicit lists like this. Of like, this is what a church leader should look like. And it, that might sound weird. You'd think that, well, it'd be something as important as having good leaders in your church would be something that the Bible talks about a lot. But I think... Like having explicit lists like this is actually intentional that it's like only very few and far between. Because the secret that everyone seems to miss when they're trying to answer this question of what does a Christian leader look like is the fact that the Bible tells us a lot about what a Christian leader should look like. They should look like Christ, right? You want to know who you should be looking for to put into church leadership, who you should be looking for to put in charge of a church? Look for the person who's doing their best to follow Jesus, who's doing their best to be like their Savior. Now, we are given some qualifications. Like, I can't just stop the sermon there. I can't just be like, well, that's my talk about church leadership. We're all done. We just need to look for this one thing. No, we are going to talk about this passage because it is important. Paul does give us this list of qualifications that we should consider. In fact, in chapter 3, there's actually two different lists. There's the list that Rachel read for us, and then there's another set of verses that comes right after that. The first list, as you've probably catch, caught while we were reading it, was that this is about being an overseer. The next list um, is about what I'm pretty sure every one of your English translations says is for a deacon. And in my studies for First uh, Timothy 3, I have started to develop a new understanding of that word deacon, but um, unfortunately, I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm going to pull that away, and you're going to have to come back next week to hear it. <laughs> um, but today, we are focusing on that first part. We're focusing on an overseer. And that should bring up the question of, well, what is an overseer? Who is an overseer? What does an overseer do? Now... I have actually written out and deleted like several different attempts at explaining this because what I've found is there's a whole study we could do about this word overseer. But the more I worked on it, the more that I like really got into the details, I started realizing that 
if I got up here and I made my whole sermon just me getting into the weeds about an overseer, it's not actually going to be that helpful for you guys, and it's not going to help support the whole like purpose of us talking about 1 Timothy 3, which is to raise up church leaders. So to try to keep it as simple as, po- simple as possible, an overseer is just someone who helps supervise the church to make sure the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And I get that. We can get that from this passage if we just look at verse 1 again of chapter 3. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now that phrase, office of overseer, it actually is the Greek word that can be translated to supervise. So that's why I said that a overseer is somebody who supervises the church. I mean, it's literally in the name. The overseer is somebody who oversees, right? Um, But before we get into the qualifications, there's a little note there that Paul adds to this like trustworthy saying that I think is really interesting. And he says that to strive to become an overseer is actually a good thing. It's a noble pursuit. And that is not something you often hear from people. When you ask people what they want to do, that's not usually on their top 10 lists of like, oh, I want to be on a church leadership board somewhere, right? Uh, When I was growing up, and I'm sure when all of you were growing up, and I'm sure with all of you, especially since you have kids and grandkids and all that, that this is a question that gets asked a lot when you're at that age, or when you're talking to people that age, is what do you want to be when you grow up? And when I was a kid growing up, I had a bunch of different answers. I said once that I wanted to be a cowboy. Um, I wanted to be a superhero, of course. I wanted to be a football player, and I'm talking about like UK football, like, like actual football. And uh, I've said I've wanted to be Indiana Jones. I know that was uh, something, and I think my wife still thinks I want to be Indiana Jones sometimes. But of course, as I grew up, I, like, my answer to that question kind of changed. And that seems to be true for most people. Because as, you know, as we get older, as we get into our teens, as we maybe start approaching uni, we're really starting to think about, okay, well, what is the career? What is the thing that I want to pursue? We start having a more de- like definite answer to that question. And I know a lot of people who, when they got to that age, when they started thinking ahead, a lot of them said, well, I want to be a pastor when I grew up. You know, I grew, it, I, had, I grew up in a large church, so it wasn't unusual to hear people talk about how they wanted to go to seminary and stuff like that. But one thing I don't think I've ever heard is somebody saying, oh, when I get older, I want to be an overseer of a church. Right? That's just not, not the thing that you hear people say. Which is, it's a little bit sad, but it's understandable because it's not a role that we like emphasize. It's not a role we promote. It's not something that's glamorous. And I think the fact that that's the way it is in our society just immediately shows just what, how culturally different we are than from the society Paul was in when he wrote this letter. Because back then, that was something that people actually did want. Like, you could ask a kid back then, and they would say that they wanted to become an overseer. They wanted to become an elder of their community. Paul didn't need to promote the job benefits or the requirements. And you'll notice that Paul doesn't actually give us, like, a description of what an overseer is because it's already built into the social structures of the time. So instead, Paul is giving us a picture of who should fit into this role. And the trap that I see a lot of times, uh, at least in modern day Christianity, is that 
churches will look at this passage and they kind of just try to copy and paste it into like our, our world today. And there's a problem with doing that because this is, again, as I've said many times, this is a letter that was written to a specific person about a specific people at a specific point in time. And here's what I want to do today. I want to try to look at these verses through the same lens that we have been looking through all the passages in 1 Timothy. And that is that Paul had sent Timothy to correct false teachings at this church in Ephesus. Because it's very clear, at least it's very clear to me, and I'm going to show you in a second why I think this way, that these aren't necessarily like universal basic truths for any church anywhere. And the reason I believe that is, I'm just going to take one of the qualifications, which is a husband of one wife, right? That is one of the qualifications, the second one that he lists. Well, if we take that literally today, that means that anybody who is an overseer of a church must be two things by default, right? If that is true, they have to be two things by default. They have to be a man, and then they have to be married, right? Because that, if they're a husband of one wife, that, that means that they're those two things. But putting aside the man part for a second, the f- fact that you would have to make sure that everybody is married should be a red flag to you because that rules out three pretty important people that we know of in this day and age. First, it rules out Timothy, because for as far as we know, Timothy we never see as gets married. Now, I'm not going to say that means that Timothy was never married, right? Just because the Bible explicitly never said, and Timothy married, blah, 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 doesn't mean Timothy never got married. But as far as we know, we have no evidence for that. So it'd be kind of weird for Paul to make this a requirement of an overseer when he sent somebody to oversee this church to fix it who may have been single at the time. And then, even more importantly, it would rule out Paul because famously, I mean, there is some evidence that people use to try to show that Paul could have been married, but Paul seems to be pretty vocal in the fact that he was single, right? 1 Corinthians 7 is a whole chapter about how he talks about how he's so glad that he's single and he wishes that most Christians would be single like him so that they could focus solely on God, right? He says that if you are married and you have a family, that's great, but now you're you're focus is a little bit divided. You can't just be focused completely on the Lord. And so that's why he's glad that he's single. So it'd be really weird for somebody who is very much in promoting the idea of being single to then say, oh, but if you're going to be a leader of a church, you should be married. Right? There's There's a contradiction there. And probably the third and most important person this would rule out, a person that I know that nobody would say that person shouldn't be an overseer of a church is Jesus, right? (laughs) As far as we know, Jesus never got married. So it'd be really weird to say that the rule is you can't, you have to be single when that would make the literal head of the church unable to be the head of the church. So all that to say is that there's something more going on here. That's what I'm trying to say, that there's more than just like we should be looking at this and just copy and pasting it onto today. And so if this is all true, right, if this isn't supposed to be copy-pasted today, well, why do we read it? Shouldn't we just throw it out? How it doesn't apply to us? Well, that's, no, of course not. That's that's the complete other extreme, and you shouldn't go there as well. What I think is going on is that you should, we should look at this and see that there's two things. First, again, Paul is correcting the people there in Ephesus, right? This is a correction 
to the church there in Ephesus, the overseers. We see who has pointed themselves as overseers there. And then the second thing is that Paul is sharing some principles, some some real, really good qualities that a church leader should have that I think we can still take out and apply to today. So first, that whole point about um, him correcting the church in Ephesus. Like this, to me, this makes total sense when I've been studying this First Timothy and getting to this passage with this in mind. Because remember what we've studied so far. Paul talked about how these false teachers had drawn people away from loving other people, right? That's one of the first things we talked about is how uh, the, having a good faith, um, love comes out of a pure heart, a good faith, and a good, co- good conscience, right? That is what good teaching should lead somebody to. And so these people were leading people to not love those around them or love God. And then Paul talks about how it seems like these people forgot that they weren't perfect. It seems they forgot that there was a reason why Jesus had come and died for them. I mean, even last week, the passage that Barb talked about, about prayer, Paul had to explicitly tell them, hey, you should be praying for your leaders and your government, and that you shouldn't be fighting with each other, and you should be living peaceful lives. If you have to sit down, and you have to tell somebody those three things, that means that person isn't praying for their leaders, that person isn't living a peaceful life, and that person is quarreling and fighting with each other, right? Like that, that just immediately should tell you what the men in that church was like, what the people in that church were like. So with all that in mind, let's read verses two through seven with that in mind, right? With all those things we've learned. And, you, and I'm hoping for you, it'll do what happened for me, which is just certain things will just pop out and be like, oh, I totally see why Paul would say this now. So starting verse two, therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now hopefully, like I said, things probably popped out to you, right? There's things in there that seem to be totally lining up with what we've been hearing Paul says about these people and what needs to be corrected, right? Like, just going from last week, if Paul's telling them they need to not be quarrelsome, but hold their hands up in prayer. And then when he talks about overseers and he says, they should not be somebody who quarrels, not somebody who's violent, but gentle. You can totally see that. Oh, probably the people that have placed themselves in leadership positions at the church are probably not doing any of this stuff. And so Paul has to come in and be like, yeah, these people shouldn't be in charge of your church. The people in charge of the church should look like this. And so with that in mind, I want to look through this list again and think about what are some principles, what are some of the things, some of the qualities we can pull out of that and apply to today? What should we be looking for in our church leaders? Well, I think there's kind of three like big themes or three categories almost that you can group these different 
qualities into. The first is that a church leader is somebody who has a good reputation because of the type of life they lead. This isn't a person that's just known to be a good person, but people know they're a good person because of what they do. Right? This is, I think, actually very important for Paul. Because if you notice, the first qualification for an overseer is to be above reproach. And to be above reproach means to live a life where nobody could accuse you of something. You are just, just the way you love other people, the way you hold yourself, the way you conduct yourself in day-to-day business. People can't say, oh, that person did this, this, or this, because they, other people would just know that's wrong because of the way you live your life. And then the way he ends this section, so he starts with being above reproach, and he ends with saying, having a good, uh, being well thought of by outsiders, right? So not only are they above reproach, but I think this is why it's also important, is he says that people need to be well thought of by people not just inside of the church, but outside of the church. Because honestly, sometimes the people we place in leadership can have the biggest impact negatively to the church. Because sometimes we can put people up in leadership positions and people outside the church can look at and be like, why would you do that? Don't, like, why would you put them up there? And instead of drawing in, coming in, they're like, well, why would I go to a place that has that type of a person as their leader? And this is even more important today because we live in a culture that's way more interconnected than even Paul lived in back then, Right? We live in a day and age that if somebody wanted to, it's not too hard to go dig around and try to find stuff that happened in your past. In fact, like just to show an example of that, in the States, there's a show called Jeopardy. I know it's not a huge thing over here, but I'm hoping that at least you've heard of this. It's a game show called Jeopardy. And last year, uh, the host who had been hosting it for like the last several decades, he passed away. So, of course, they're going to start looking for a new host to fill his role. But the thing is that you need to know is Jeopardy was one of those game shows that everybody in America knows, right? Like, I know there's some game shows here that, like, pretty much everybody, even if they've never watched it, at least know about it. Like, that's what Jeopardy is in the States. And so everybody knows Jeopardy. Everybody knew who Alex Trebek, the host, was. So this is a big role to fill. These are big shoes for somebody to step into. And so earlier in August, they announced that they had finally picked a replacement, and it was this guy named Mike Richards, which immediately made everybody go, who is Mike Richards, right? You'd expect that it'd be somebody who's famous, or at least somebody who has some kind of like celebrity status would step into such a big role, but this unknown guy steps in, and they're like, oh, Mike Richards. So... Of course, because everybody doesn't know who he is, they immediately start looking into it. And immediately red flags start to pop up. Like the fact that Mike Richards was the executive producer of Jeopardy. That means he was the boss of Jeopardy. So it's a little weird when the boss of Jeopardy decides that he's going to pick himself as the host of Jeopardy, right? That's already a little bit like, okay, something fishy is going on here. But then, of course... What we've seen so many times is that the internet, people on the internet start digging up stuff, and stuff from his past started coming up, and soon there was this big outrage over him, and he was, it was pretty, just as quickly as they had announced it, they quickly said, oh wait, Mike Richards, he's not going to be the host anymore. In fact, I don't think he's even part of Jeopardy at all anymore. And while it might seem silly that so much fervor, so much like, just this like excitement almost of, 
like this appointment of a new game show host. Like it might seem silly, like there was so much around that, but just like we see that with them, we should be even more cautious, right? Just as Jeopardy should have been cautious on who they're going to pick as their host because of how popular it is in the States, we should be even more cautious because the church, the church's goal has way more at stake than just winning some money, right? The church's goal has people's eternal lives at stake. So we want to make sure that the right person gets there and somebody who's not going to bring the rest of the church down. The next thing that I see that Paul's putting out is that a church leader needs to be someone who is self-controlled. Now, I, I know that self-control is listed there, but I think other things like not a drunkard or a husband of one wife or not violent but gentle or not a lover of money, all of those, to me, kind of fall under that same category of being self-controlled. Because... All of those have to deal with being able to control oneself around those various issues. Because self-control means that it's not that a person never like shows emotions or anything like that. It's a person that even when they're showing emotions, they stay in control of themselves, right? When they're dealing with these different indulgences, they don't indulge. It doesn't mean that they avoid them completely, but they can control themselves, right? It says that not a drunkard, but it doesn't say never drinks, right? Because a, a person with self-control can control themselves around these things. You know, it's, it says not violent but gentle. doesn't mean you never get angry. It just means what do you do when you are angry? How do you control yourself at that moment? And now I do want to say sometimes for a person to show self-control, they have to disdain completely from one of these things, right? Having just a little bit of something might be just too much for them. And that's totally fine. If that is you, if you need to be like, well, I'm not even going to take a sip of alcohol because I know what it does to me, then that is totally fine because that is, that is self-control. But what I don't want is people to be like, well, self-control means that you never drink. Or like taking something that they think is a requirement and putting on somebody else because that isn't what self-control is. So that's the, somebody we should be looking for. Somebody not only who has a good reputation, but somebody who is in control of themselves. And finally, the third thing I see is that a church leader is a person who knows how to disciple others. This comes from when Paul is talking about how an overseer is someone that can teach. Uh, he says that there's somebody who can manage their family well. And he says that it shouldn't be a new convert, right? The overseer is responsible just, not just for guiding the church, but for helping disciple, helping bring up new leaders within the church. They need to be able to teach and instruct the next generation on what they need to do so that they could become a leader themselves. And because of that, they can't be a new convert because that makes sense because they, they need to have the experience of living the Christian life, right? A good leader as somebody who at least maybe not been through everything, but at least has been through enough life that when he, see, he or she sees somebody else struggling with something, they know how to come alongside them because they've gone through it too. So they can't be just somebody who's just brand new saved because they might not know how to handle different situations because they never were a Christian when they went through that situation. And then lastly, it mentions how that they should be able to some manage their family well. Because honestly, families reflect us, right? I know that I am a reflection of my parents. Like, 
Uh, I'm sure each one of you reflect your parents. I'm sure each one of your kids reflect you. Right? Whenever I meet somebody and then I meet their parents, it like it's so easy often to be like, ah, so that's why you're like this or this or this, because you meet the parents and it just makes sense. Or as a show put it um, the other day that I was watching, the character says this, I love meeting the parents because it is like a handbook on why that person is nuts. <laughs> right? It's such a, but it's so true, right? Like when you meet somebody and then you meet the parents, you're like, oh, this totally makes sense why you're like this. But the honesty, honestly, the reason why Paul mentions that is that your family, because it reflects you, it means that it's going to show whether or not you live that way outside of church. Because it's, it's so easy to come to church and like try to put on a mask and be like, I'm great. Look how good I am. I'm so holy. I like help here and there. And I'm so good during these few hours where I'm in this building. But then when you go home, be a totally different person. But when you have a family around you, when they come in, that's really going to show whether or not that, that mask is real. Because if you come in and you try to have that mask, but your family's just going crazy in the building, it's going to fall apart pretty fast. So what? Let's, to conclude all of this, we are always looking for new leaders to be raised up in this church. We are looking for people to join the leadership team. It's true. That's why we're talking about this. And this is why we want to know, like, as we look for people, these are the type of things that we're looking for in a person to be church leader. But I want to point out that it doesn't matter, like, your age, right? Paul didn't give, like, like a bunch of other things. He didn't say that you had to be a certain age. He didn't say that you had to have gone to seminary. He didn't say you had to have all these things. In fact, there's very little about the knowledge a person has in this list of qualifications. It's more about the person's character. And so if you are ever interested in taking more of a leadership role, please let me know. Please let Joel know. And I want to say this as well, because oftentimes that takes a lot of effort for somebody to do that. And I totally understand that because I'm that person too, which it's very hard for me to take that step and put myself out there. So I want to tell you that if you think of some, if you know of somebody else who you think should be in church leadership, it's totally fine to leave an anonymous tip with me or Joel about that. And we can pursue that person. Because remember, church leadership though is something that we should want to be a part of. It's a noble pursuit. And as we grow the leadership team at our church, let's remember these three things that we're looking for people who have a good reputation, both inside and outside the church, right? They're not just good here, they're good their entire lives. That they're self-controlled and that they can disciple other people. And I do want to be clear about one last thing as I conclude is that I know we've been talking about church leader and we've been talking about these different aspects in that light, but that's not an excuse to be like, well, I don't have to be those three things because I'm not in church leadership. No, like these are, th these are things that should make up every Christian, right? We should all strive to have these three things be things that we can identify with. Because in fact, the person who probably lived out those three themes the best is Jesus himself. And that is who we want to be like. So two quick questions to leave you with today. Do you feel called to leadership? And can you see these themes being lived out in your life? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for all that you've done. God, I just thank you that um, 
that you empower the people that you call. That you want us to be bold enough to step forward and we can be bold enough because we know that we're not going to do it on our own power. You're not asking us as humans to just somehow miraculously become geniuses at the Bible or being super well-spoken or anything like that, God. You are asking just for people to be willing to come and serve you and you will use whoever comes forth. And so, God, I just pray that we will be a people who are bold, be a people who are brave, be a people who are willing to just put our lives out there in service to you. God, I just pray that as we look to grow the leadership team here at Ainsford at Stone, that we will be mindful of people who look like these three things. That as we see those people, we'll encourage them into church leadership. That we won't be like, oh, well, those people have that and then ignore it. That if we see that in somebody, that we will be actively pursuing or encouraging them to pursue a noble task. And God, I pray that we won't make the excuse for ourselves that just because we're in church leadership that we won't strive for these three things as well. I pray that we will be a people who will have a good reputation, who are self-controlled, and who will know how to disciple other people. Because God, if we want to see your church grow here in the UK, we need to realize that we are all part of this movement. And it's all of our responsibilities to see this happen all of our responsibility to see new church leaders being made. God, just be with us today. Give us wisdom as we move forward. In your name, amen.